Good morning, BCF Church. If we haven't met, my name is not Maverick. I'm Bo Hesterberg. Welcome back to our series, Spiraling. Who can forget that tragic scene in Top Gun where they get caught up in the jet wash of another plane and Maverick and Goose, their plane is caught in a flat spin. They are spiraling out of control and they punch out, they eject and Goose tragically dies. A flat spin, I just read this week, it's one of the most dangerous of all spirals. Because in a flat spin, there is no forward motion. The plane is just spinning around in circles like a car doing donuts, and they just sink down. If it's not corrected early, there is no way of correcting it. The only option is to punch out, to eject. In our series, I want you to know that if you're in a flat spin today, if your life is spiraling out of control, there is a way out. Maybe you feel like your, your, your life is spiraling out. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your finances. You say, I just can't keep above water. I've got this debt. Maybe it's your relationships that are falling apart. Maybe it's all in, in your mind. Your mind is spiraling. You're spiraling with, with doubts and with insecurities and jealousies and worries. And if you don't do something, you're going to crash. There is a way out. In our series, we've been looking at the life of King Saul. And King Saul, since we looked at him last week, King Saul has actually been on a winning streak. In fact, the Bible says Saul fought against his enemies in every direction. Wherever he turned, Saul was victorious. If Saul was a fighter pilot, you might say he's the top gun. He's winning. He is the best of the best. But inside, Saul had started to spiral. There were these warning signs of insecurities, of doubts. But on the outside, things looked great. On the inside, he's starting to spiral, and God says, hey, it's not too late. Saul, you can still pull out of this. And it's like God gave him one more chance. God sent the prophet Samuel to talk with Saul, and Samuel was a man of God. He spoke for God. God would speak to Samuel. Samuel would speak to others. And so Samuel came to Saul one day, and he said, Saul, you're doing great. I, I see what you're doing. Look, God is the one who chose you to be king. 
He called you to be king. And now, I want you to hear God's directions for you. And he gave him his marching orders. I'd like you to follow along. If you have your notes, we're going to be reading in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to pick this up at verse 2. Uh, for our friends watching online, wherever you are in the world, thank you. Your host is going to post a link in the chat. And if you're ever here in town, I'd love to see you in person with us. 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. This is heavy. God is saying, wipe them out. You say, well, why is God doing this? Something we have to remember about God. He is very patient. He is very, extremely merciful. He gives us opportunity after opportunity to repent, to turn around, to change our ways. But God is also completely just. And he always keeps his promises. So 400 years previously, when the people of Israel had just left Egypt, they are ex-slaves, they are wandering in the wilderness, the Amalekite nation says, let's attack them and let's wipe them out. They are ex-slaves, they don't have an army, but they rally under General Joshua, and God gives them victory. And then God said this, I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. But still, God gives them 400 years to turn around, to change. But instead, they got worse and worse and more and more wicked until finally, God said, enough. And it wouldn't just affect the men, wouldn't just affect the warriors, it would affect the women, the children, the entire families, the entire nation. Friends, sometimes if we don't turn, God gives us time after time to turn, but it doesn't just affect us. Finally, it affects our entire family. If we want to escape the deadly flat spin, we have to get extreme about cutting out sin. And so God told King Saul, I want you to get extreme. I need you to wipe them out. Friends, are you extreme about cutting sin out of your life. Many years ago, I had the original iPhone. Do you remember when that first came out, the original iPhone? It was the original smartphone, the phone that could connect to the internet, and it was like, wow, I've got the iPhone. I was so proud of that thing. And yet, there was this temptation. I had this constant temptation, it kept getting worse and worse, to look for things I should not be looking for on the internet on my phone. And I'm like, I can deal with this, I can, I can handle this, and I'm spinning, and finally God says, no, get rid of it. So I had to trade in my smartphone for a dumb phone. <laughs> and you say, well, that's extreme. God says, get extreme. And now I have an iPhone again. 
But now it has parental controls to keep away the bad internet sites. And my wife has the code to my parental controls. And you're like, well, that's, that's crazy, Bo. That's over the top. That's extreme. Friends, I know if I don't get extreme about cutting out sin, it won't just hurt me. It'll hurt my wife. It'll hurt my children. It'll hurt everyone around me. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Jesus is being extreme to make a point. He's not saying, everyone go poke out your eyes. Jesus is saying, you can get extreme. There's a lot of things you can do before you poke out that eye, but get extreme. Why? Because it affects everyone around us. Is there an area where you need to get extreme, where you need to cut out sin from your life? God told Saul, you need to get extreme. You need to wipe out this nation of Amalek. And so Saul, he gathers his army. Remember, he's top gun. He's winning. They go out to battle, and they win. And they chase Amalek all the way almost back to Egypt. But then the Bible says this. Saul captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Now wait, what's he doing? Well, see, back in those days, if you could capture the enemy king, you could bring him back to your palace and he'd be a prisoner. He's like a living trophy to everyone else. Hey, look how great I am. I captured this king. They belong to us now. And then... The Bible says Saul and his men, they spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Friends, if we want to escape the deadly spiral, we have to get extreme, but then we have to remember partial obedience equals disobedience. Think about what God told Saul. God said, wipe everything out. Men, women, children, animals. And look at what they did. God says, wipe them all out. And Saul says, okay, I'll wipe them all out, except for the king, the worst of them all. Saul says, we'll destroy the animals. Well, actually, only the worthless ones. We're going to keep everything else. This is our plunder. Have you ever obeyed God, but only partially? I told you before, I'm a gamer. Don't hate me. And so sometimes my wife, uh, she's, she gives me permission. My kids, they go to bed and just some, some, spend some time on video games to sort of wind down. But I want you to know, not all games are for kids. There are video games that have vulgar language, just excessive violence. Some have really bad sensuality, and some even feel downright demonic. And so sometimes I'll be playing a video game, and I'll sense God speak to me in my, the Holy Spirit speak to me in my conscience and say, hey, no, this is not good. Get rid of this one. It's troubling my spirit. And so I'll delete it from my computer. But the thing is, video games today, they're not like they were when we were kids, where you had the cartridge and you could just throw away the cartridge, or you could break the CD and you're done with it. It's stored online on my internet account. And so if God ever changes his mind, 
I could download it again. Is that complete obedience? That's partial obedience. I deleted it from my computer, but you know, if I ever, if maybe one day I'll, I'll get it again. And God convicted me and he said, no, that's a partial obedience. I had to look up online, how do I delete this game from my account? And then I had to go to each of those games where God said, get rid of it. I'm like, okay, oh, delete. Oh, delete. This one was kind of fun, but no, God said, delete. Is there an area where you're obeying God, but only partially? Like maybe God said, I want you to, to stay away from this group of friends. These guys are dragging you down. And you're like, okay, I'm going to leave these alo- people alone except for her because I want to date her. Or maybe God said, hey, you need to make things right. You hurt these people. Or there are some people that you need to forgive because they hurt you. And you're like, okay, I'll talk to him and I'll talk to her, but I'm not talking to them. They're the ones that hurt me the worst. It's partial obedience. Or maybe you say, okay, God, I know you want me to give faithfully. I know you want me to serve faithfully here in your church. I'll do it sometimes. Like, you know, on special occasions, I'll get involved. That's partial obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Saul only obeyed partially. Now, the thing is, God looks at his partial obedience, and God says, no, that is disobedience. Look at what he says to Samuel, the prophet. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me. He has refused to obey my command. And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this he cried out to the lord all night samuel's upset because samuel loves king saul he wants to see king saul succeed he wants to see him turn around sometimes obeying god hurts but early the next morning samuel obeys, and he goes looking for King Saul, and he travels all around looking for him. The Bible says he finds someone who tells him, Saul went down to Carmel and set up a monument to himself, and then he went on to Gilgal. And so Samuel is traveling all around looking for Saul, and Saul is on this victory tour. He sets up a monument for himself saying, hey, look how great I am. Look how wonderful I am. And he moves on, and finally Samuel finds him. The Bible says when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. And I think Saul really believes this. Sometimes we justify sin to ourselves for so long that we start believing that what we're doing is okay. Samuel says, if you obeyed God, How come I hear all these sheep and goats and cows? The evidence is right in front of me. I can smell it. And Saul says, well, it's true. The army spared the best of the sheep and goats and cattle, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. And we've destroyed everything else. 
And now he's, he's justifying it. He's saying, well, this, yeah, we, we didn't do it exactly, but you know, it's because it's for the Lord. We're going to do it for God. Instead of admitting it, he's justifying it. He's making excuses. And finally, Samuel says, stop. I need you to hear what the Lord told me to tell you last night. He said, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. I should underline this phrase if you have a pen or a pencil. You may think little of yourself. See, because deep down inside, Saul still thought little of himself. He still felt, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm the littlest. I'm the least. And so he's going around doing these things. He's erecting monuments. He's on a victory tour saying, everyone, look at me, to try to convince himself that he's not the littlest and the least. If we want to escape the downward spiral, we have to choose to believe what God says about us. See, all of these things that Saul's doing, his doubts, his failures, they're all trying to compensate for this belief that I'm not good enough, that I'm not enough. Whereas if he had just believed what God said about him, you're my chosen king. He could have moved forward in obedience and faith and courage. Are you believing what God says about you? What does God say about me? I want you to see Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance. God knew you before you were born. God knew you before you ever came in the doors of the church, and he chose you. He chose them to be like his son. God says, I want you. I chose you to become like Jesus, to be loving and good and kind and helpful. Having chose them, he called them to come to him. God says, you are chosen. You are called. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. That means no matter what your past is, no matter what your failures are, no matter what your sins are, when you come to Jesus Christ, he washes you clean. He says, you are right with God. You are forgiven. You are healed. And the Bible says, having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. God says, it's not my intention for you to stand around with your head hanging down in shame, in guilt. You are forgiven. He wants you to stand with your head held high, shining like the sun, and not like, hey, look at me, I'm so great. No, look at God. He is so awesome. Look at what he has done for me. This is who you are. This is what God says about you. And Saul didn't believe it. And Saul failed. And he disobeyed. And the sad thing is Saul thinks he obeyed. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Quick question. Is that what God asked him to do? No. Incomplete obedience. And he says, and then my troops brought the best of the sheep and goats and cattle. It wasn't me. It was them. It was those guys. Like, he can't control them. To sacrifice to the Lord your God. And when did God become Samuel's God? 
and not Saul's God? When is it not our God? It's, it's your God. I did this for your God. And look at what Samuel says. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering. More than money in the offering basket, God says, I want you to obey me. More than giving, more than serving, God says, I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. And God says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Now Saul had made witchcraft illegal. He got rid of all the witches. Saul got rid of all the fake gods, the idols. And God says, but you, your rebellion, not obeying me completely, your stubbornness refusing to change, it's just as bad. And here's the part that finally got Saul's attention. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And now Saul is spiraling. His mind is spinning. And it's like God is shouting to him, saying, Saul, eject, 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 get out. What do you do when your life is spiraling out of control? When you're confronted with your sin, demonstrate true repentance. Repent means to turn away from my sins. It means I'm going this way, and I turn around, and I leave that behind. And it's a, it's a change inside, in my heart. The Bible says, then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. That's good. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now, please, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Is this true repentance? Well, he says, I've sinned. That's good. He says, please forgive my sin. That's good. But notice this phrase, I was afraid of the people. Underline that. Because even here, Saul is more afraid of what other people think of him than what God thinks of him. And Saul is still making excuses and blaming it's everyone else's fault but mine. That's not genuine repentance. What does genuine repentance look like? In the Bible, the apostle Saul, he wrote to a group of believers in Corinth and he, he challenged them with their sins. And then he says this in a follow-up letter. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness means I'm eager to make things right. Such concern to clear yourselves. I'm going to talk to whoever I have to talk to to make amends. Such indignation. I'm angry at Satan. I'm angry at my sin. Such Alarm, I'm afraid of where my sin is taking me. Such longing to see me. Correction should draw me closer to the one who corrects me. Such zeal, I have intense dedication to change. Such a readiness to punish wrong in myself. And Paul says, you have shown that you've done everything necessary to make things right. That's true repentance. And Saul isn't showing these signs of repentance. 
Saul is concerned because Samuel said, well, you're not going to be king anymore. And he's, he's concerned. He's worried. He's afraid. What are people going to think of me? What's everyone going to think about me? And as Samuel is walking away, Saul grabs a hold of his coat and he rips it. And Samuel says, just as you ripped this coat, God has ripped away the kingdom from you. The Bible says, then Saul pleaded, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people. Saul is still obsessed with what others will think of him. And he could have taken this opportunity to say, let me go before all the people and tell everyone what I've done and say, please forgive me. I've hurt all of you by disobeying God. But instead he says, let's, let's pretend this didn't happen. Come back with me. Let's just, let's just ignore this. At least I want them to think good of me. I don't want to look weak. Can I tell you a secret? Admitting your failures is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Sometimes as parents, we, we mess up and, and we, we shout at our kids or we discipline them in anger and, and we know it was wrong and inside we're like, well, well maybe they deserved it. And, and I don't want to go back and admit to my kids that I messed up because then they'll know I'm not perfect. Your kids already know you're not perfect. They already know in their little hearts, this is wrong. This isn't fair. And when, when I go and I admit, hey, this was wrong. I am so sorry I yelled at you. Will you please forgive me? I'm modeling to them, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to ask forgiveness. I'm modeling to them. Friends, how do we avoid a deadly spin? We have to get extreme about cutting sin. Cut it out of my life. We have to remember incomplete obedience equals disobedience. We have to believe what God says about us. You are called. You are chosen. We have to demonstrate true repentance, a change in heart. And then number five, obey God for the next step even when it hurts. Saul had disobeyed God. Saul did not do everything God called him to do. King Agag is still alive. And even though Saul is disobeyed, even though he said all these things to him, God is still not done. Justice still has to be served. And so Samuel calls for King Agag. Now King Agag, he's thinking the worst is past. Uh, all of my people, they may be gone. I'm going to be a, you know, captive in the king's palace, but at least I'm alive. And, you know, maybe I can work my way back up and, and be an advisor or something. He's thinking, okay, worst is past. And Samuel says to him, just as your sword has killed many mother's sons, your mother will also be childless. And Samuel takes a sword and he hacks King Agag to death in pieces before the Lord. Now, Samuel is not a warrior. This was not Samuel's job. This is Saul's job. This is what God called Saul to do. And Samuel has to do this. Sometimes obeying God hurts. Is someone else doing what God called you to do? 
someone else raising your kids? Is someone else providing for your family? Is someone else making the hard choices God wants you to make? Obey God even when it hurts. Samuel obeyed God even when it was painful. And then the Bible says this, and this is so sad. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. This didn't make Samuel happy. This made him sad. He loved King Saul. He wanted him to win. He wanted him to succeed, and he cried for him. And the Bible says the Lord was sorry he ever made Saul king of Israel. Now, God does not make mistakes. It's not like God said, oops, I shouldn't have done that. No, God knew what he was doing. God called. He chose Saul. But when Saul refused to change, it hurt God's heart. And when we refuse to change, it hurts. And when we have to do things that hurt, God hurts with us. The Bible says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. When you cry, God cries with you. When you went through that painful time, God felt that pain with you. He hurts with you. And sometimes that next step of obedience will hurt. And God says, I hurt with you, and I will walk through it with you. Maybe you need to end a relationship and you know it's wrong, but you also know this is going to hurt. And God says, I hurt with you, and I will walk through it with you. Maybe you need to admit to your husband or wife a, a failure. And you know this is going to hurt them, but you know if I keep this hidden, it's going to hurt us more in the long run. And God says, I will walk with you through that pain. I will see you to the other side. Maybe it's just admitting to God and to someone else, I need help. God says, I will help you. I'll walk with you, and so will we. The Bible says if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Just admit it. Maybe your next step is to come on Friday nights to celebrate recovery and say, I need help. My, my hurts from my past are killing me. My choices are killing me. And my coping mechanisms, whether it's alcohol or weed or other drugs or pornography or just hurting people with my words, they're killing me and they're killing my relationships. And it's saying, I need help. It's a hard step, but God says, if you do this, I'll walk with you. I'll feel with you. I want us to take some time right now and talk with Jesus. Is there some sin you need to get extreme about? Tell that to Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, I, I will get rid of this. I will change. Help me change. Is there an area in your life where you've not obeyed God completely? Admit it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I will obey you completely, even if it hurts. Maybe there's some lie you're believing about yourself. Believe the truth. 
God says, you are chosen. You are called. You are not a victim. You are victorious. Maybe right now, you feel like you're where Saul is. Your life is spiraling out of control, and you feel like, I don't even know how to get out of this mess. You need to eject. You need to call out to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, please help me. Wherever you are right now, wherever you're watching at home, say, Jesus, please help me. You can say that out loud. You can say it in your heart, Jesus, please help me. Say, Jesus, I'm spiraling. I'm in a deadly spin. Jesus, I've sinned. Please forgive me. Please help me. Help me do whatever it takes to make this right. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you never give up on us. You give us chance after chance to repent, to turn around, to change our hearts. So God, give us the courage to take the next step of obedience, even if it hurts. And God, we know that you walk with us, you hurt with us, and you will bring us out on the other side. We love you, Father. It's in your son Jesus' name we ask for help. Amen. Thank you.